The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Trip to the left side, Johnny Wilson alone here, wide to the right. Told Feely to the right of Travis in the gun, second and nine from the 23. Wolfpack showing pressure. Here comes a blitz, twist up front, Travis lobbing it towards the end zone for Pittman, it's picked off! He threw it in the end zone and Pittman cut off his route and it's intercepted in the end zone. Why would you do that? 38 seconds to go. Why not just run the ball? The drive for win number five comes up short. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 7.01 on this Monday night. This is Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, 89.7 FM, and online at wvfs.fsu.edu. And Tomahawk Talk always available the next day as a podcast as well. Big show tonight. Another loss for Florida State football. They drop a game on the road to NC State. It's their second loss in a row. They're 4-2 and two on the season. Lots to get into with that game. So lots of interesting discussion there. We will also have uh, Justin Robertson of the Tiger joining us to talk about the, the Clemson game this weekend at about 7.30. Jack Oliaro with Seminole Segment. And then in the back half of the show, we'll have some NFL Sunshine Slate and a little bit of Major League Baseball playoffs as well. So big show here tonight. And uh, introducing the room tonight in the studio, I'm your host, William Haynes, uh, the co-host to my left, Jackson Bakich. And uh, Jackson, I know we are kind of having a similar experience right now. It just seems like weekend after weekend, all our teams, they just keep losing. What's going on? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, Not only did the Florida State Seminoles lose, not only did the Miami Dolphins lose, not only did the Tampa Bay Rays lose, not only lose, but their season was ended. Uh, my useless Panthers at home lost to my roommate's high school as well. Uh, so just an all-around uh, hell, hell of a weekend. Nothing to hang my hat on. No, no silver lining in the clouds. Uh, you know, just listening to sad music all weekend, really. Uh, but it's okay. You know, God is good. It's all good. Um, how are you doing, William? You doing all right? That I have to I have to admit I have to be honest that Rays loss really did beat me up uh, for about five hours on Saturday I felt like I was in my own personal baseball hell uh, five hour game no runs they only had a handful of hits they uh, the Rays and two games two playoff games twenty four innings one run are you kidding me that's how your season ends but uh, life moves on there's other things going on so you never want to see your team season end that way and then. Uh, to see Florida State uh, lose the game that night. But uh, always good to be here in studio. Always lots of great sports to talk about. So uh, that'll help me get over it uh, a little bit, I suppose. But the panelists to my right, Kylie Brennan is back in the studio. Last time you were on the show, it was we were talking about a win at Louisville. What a thrilling win that was. It seems a lot has changed since then. Your Jacksonville Jaguar since then, Kylie. One and two or two and three on the season. How are you doing? Are you all right? I really, I really appreciate you asking if I'm all right. I think that it's very good to check in on your friends, especially those that root for Florida NFL teams during the season. Uh, so thank you for that well-being check. Um, honestly, I take pride in spreading joy here around the station, but I have no joy to give this Monday. That's fair. It, I felt empty after the FSU game, and sitting in the blazing sun at that Jags game was just horrendous. So. 
Well, if it'll be any solace uh, for, to the listening audience, we will be here to at least try and help you make sense of some of the games this weekend. And rounding out the panel, also to my right, AJ LaCourcier. Last show we had you on was that uh, that, that day after that LSU win. And I, I think with cert- absolute certainty, we can say we're all feeling uh, better here than we were <laughs> the day after the uh, the block in the bayou. How are you doing, AJ? Great to have you back. Doing great. I'm, I'm also with Jackson and Kylie with um, down on a sports weekend, uh, my Marlins didn't even make the playoffs, so I couldn't even hang my hat on losing a playoffs game. So, um, but other than that, I am back and better than ever, and ready to get into it. All right, all right, we will get into it indeed. And a shout out, Jack Oliaro, our producer, peeking in from behind the glass. He'll have seminal segment uh, towards the back half of the hour. But Florida State football loses 19 to 17 in Raleigh to North Carolina State. FSU was looking to bounce back from a disappointing Wake Forest loss. They were looking to stay competitive in the ACC Atlantic standings before the big Clemson game. They were able to do neither of those things. We had another interesting uh, turn of events leading into the game as we had a week ago. The lights in Carter-Finley Stadium were not coming on. Uh, It was about an hour before the game. was not sure we were going to get lights at all. They do eventually come on. The kickoff was delayed about 20 minutes, about 8.20 the game began, ended around midnight, but uh, that was an interesting way to set the night, and it seems FSU-NC State games in Raleigh are always as weird as it can possibly get, and that that, that certainly contributed to that, but a quick layout of how the game unfolded. It was the first time this year FSU did not score to start either half. I think they were 9 of 10 scoring out of halves going into this game, so that was certainly uncharacteristic of them. We talked about Norvell scripted drives to start games, uh, and they did not. Ab- they were not able to cash in on that first drive of the game. Florida State struggled uh, to find success on the ground. That really tough 3-3-5 defense for NC State up front. They blitz from the left. They, they blitz from the right. You don't know who is coming and when and where. And uh, it's they were able to run away from the blitz occasionally, but I think NC State got the better of them uh, in that regard. Uh, Florida State, two punts. Uh, then they turned it over on downs pretty deep in NC State territory. It was fourth and three on the 23-yard line of the Wolfpack. They decide not to settle for a field goal. That was after a Johnny Wilson uh, drop, or that was the drop on uh, fourth down. There was a McLean touchdown drop before that. Uh, there was a long Jordan Travis run. Uh, sparks the first touchdown for the Knolls that made it 7-3. to three. 71 yards, one of his longest runs as a Knoll. Uh, Micah Pittman had the fade touchdown, which will come into play much later uh, to to cap off that touchdown drive. Uh, in the, into the second quarter, Florida State, they finished the first half very strong. They're up 17-3 to at halftime. NC State interception sets up a seven-play, 72-yard touchdown drive to make it 17-3. Uh, the Wolfpack, uh, they went three and out on a punt uh, to set up that drive. It was a fake punt return about 10 years ago. The Rams did it against the Seahawks. It's been done a couple of other times. But Pokey Wilson on the opposite side of the field where the punt coverage was lined up takes it most of the way down the field, and they're able to get a Ryan Fitzgerald's field goal from 47 yards out that uh, the team was very excited that he was able to make. Uh, after that kick, he was 5 for 10 on the season. But, folks, this is where things get ugly. NC State right out of halftime. 10 plays, 84 yards in just about five minutes to make it 17-10 to 10 Knowles. And this is where the FSU offense completely vanished after that NC State drive. FSU goes three and out, four and out, three and out, three and out. And on the first play of the next drive, it was an interception to turn the ball back over. So not able to really give the defense any rest and not able to move the ball in any sort of way. A lot of drop passes. We'll talk about that. With about five minutes left in the third quarter, 
The uh, ACC Player of the Year reigning, Devin Leary, the quarterback of NC State, was out. Josh Farmer drives him into the ground, uh, hurts that shoulder. The backup, Jack Chambers, comes in for the final 20 minutes of the game. Chambers does not complete a pass. Seven rushes for 39 yards, but that was it. They did not throw the ball. Uh, I think they threw it two times in the final 20 minutes, and he entered the game down seven points, and yet NC State still somehow wins. Uh, with Chambers, uh, the Wolfpack kicked three field goals on three straight drives to make it 19-17 in their favor. Their kicker went four for four on Saturday with a long of 53. He's perfect on all 11 kicks this season. He was a weapon. And uh, the, the call, the, the Master Mono loss of down on the, the punt where he avoided the rusher to try and uh, not get the kick blocked. Looked like he might have been able to run for the first down, but kicks beyond the line of scrimmage. It's a loss of down, so it turns the ball over inside the FSU 15-yard line. NC State cashes in for a field goal on that drive there. And, guys, now let's talk about this final drive. FSU had the ball down two points, 1917, with four and a half minutes, all three timeouts from their own eight-yard line. It was a 31-yarder to Johnny Wilson, a targeting call on Benson, gets it to the NC State 37-yard line, two yards shy of the, the range on the broadcast for Ryan Fitzgerald. With two minutes to go, a field goal would have given them a one-point victory. Instead, uh, Lawrence Toafili touched the ball a few times, gets it down to the 22 with 38 seconds, and then it was the call that you heard at the top of the show from Seminole Sports Properties and uh, Learfield IMG from Jeff Colhane. The interception to Micah Pittman on essentially the same play uh, that he scored that, that first touchdown on. So now that we open it up for conversation, I guess, Jackson, we'll start with you. We have a, like a laundry list of stuff we want to get into, but there's a lot that happened in this game. I mean, I, I guess I'll just turn it over to you. There's Where do you want to start? Well... You know, people always say, well, well, you can't point to this one play. You know, Florida State, uh, you know, was beaten. I, I disagree. I think this was definitely Florida State's game to lose. Um, there's no question about that. I do think there's a a certain amount of plays, uh, three or four to be exact, not even including the drops, where you can point to and say, had this gone the other way, um, you know, Florida State probably would have come up on top. But, you know, we talked about it. A couple weeks ago, I believe we talked about it last week. Um, you can only control what you can control. And I think Coach Norvell is um, very, very adamant about that. Um, I think Coach Norvell is someone that is trusting the process almost too much. And what I mean by that is, you know, you go back to the LSU game. Yeah, that toss play may have been a moment. high percentage play. But when you when you think about you know when you think about ball when you think about playing football when it, when it, the way it needs to be played you don't put the ball in the air no matter you know it doesn't matter if it's a it's a pitch or if it's if it's you know a pass play you don't put the ball in the air you keep the ball on the ground um, and you know let's say it was a handoff and I know we're kind of getting into specifics here let's say in the LSU game it was a handoff and the ball fumbles you'd be like oh well why didn't they kneel the ball you know uh, either way. Coach Norvell has made some decisions that has lost Florida State some games. I, I think we can all agree with that, but I think he's also made some decisions. I've said this before, too. He's made some decisions that has won Florida State some games. Absolutely. Um, you know, for instance, knowing the three-second rule against uh, Miami. But when it comes to down to this game, Florida State did not move the ball well in the second half. 
I don't know why they didn't load the box against a quarterback that was not throwing a pass. There was just a multitude of decisions where, you know, as a fan, you're just, you know, you know, we're on our couch, we're eating Doritos, as I believe, I forget who said it. Was it was Boog Shiambi doing yeah. that, that Rays uh, uh-huh. Guardians game. That's yeah. exactly right. Um, there was just a lot of decisions I just didn't understand at all. Um, and like you said, there's a laundry list. And uh, I think Coach Norvell, he's a young guy. He's still a young coach. I think he has some things to learn, just like anybody else in that position has to learn. Um, but was it each and every decision that, that lost us the game? No, absolutely not. Obviously, you can't point to one single thing and say this is why. But, uh, you know, Florida State has some things to clean up. That's for sure. Did this remind anyone of uh, some previous Florida State games played at uh, Carter Friendly Stadium there? It, it's... It, the whole game where Florida State was not scoring, I was like, this feels exactly like 2012. This feels exactly like 2012. This feels exactly like 2012. Um, for those of you who don't know, in 2012, Florida State went up 16 to nothing. At halftime. At halftime, they're ranked number three. Had E.J. Manuel, uh, Coach Coach Fisher, obviously, in his third year. Um, and they just laid an egg in the second half, completely derailing their their national championship hopes. I mean, they they lose to Florida later in the year anyway. Probably weren't national championship material yet, uh, but it was the same game. It was Go the up same 16, game. Nothing, and you don't score any in the second it half. It was the same game. Mike Glennon. Um, so, uh, you know, we talked about this pre-show that 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 decision to throw the pass, and, and this is what I was trying to get back to earlier. Uh, the decision to throw the pass uh, is that a high probability play? No. No. But at the same time, you know, you, you have Coach Norvell thinking, okay, well, I'm going to trust my guys. I'm going to trust my process. I'm going to trust this. I'm going to trust that. But, you know, and a lot of times guys, especially in baseball, you're talking about analytics and, you know, you know kind of disregarding the gut feeling. You know, you think about Blake Snell in the, in the World Series in 2020. I know kind of a tangent again, but you have to go sometimes with the old philosophies of football. And realizing, you know, what is the sensible play. Not necessarily the highest probability, but what is the sensible play. And, uh, you know, it, 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 if Florida State has a complete confidence in their kicker, they run the ball three times and they, you know, they put it in the middle of the field and they kick it. But, uh, you know, to still make that decision to throw a, a back corner fade and it doesn't matter if it does not matter if uh, you know the the receiver ran the wrong route or this happened or that happened. Um, it just can't happen. I'll turn over to the panel because I want to I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Jackson has been talking about it that that final play they were in field goal range they were only down two so they didn't really need to throw for the end zone. In my opinion, a low percentage play you, sh- you throw to one of your shorter receivers a contested throw in the end zone. What do we think about this call? I mean, obviously the the lack of faith in the kicker plays a role in this. Uh, maybe Norvell, he likes to be aggressive, plays a role in this as well. But uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on, on how that final sequence played out. Well, you know, we talked about the fade thrown to Micah earlier in the game and how that, that was a great play and it worked out, you know. And, yeah, like it was great because it worked out. But still he had to catch that pretty much one hand with the off <laughs> the helmet. Like that was still a pretty contested 
throw there. So I'm just saying, like, going for that on third and one, when you have the option to run the ball, get Fitzgerald more within range. And honestly, I think having Fitzgerald potentially win the game there, I think that does great stuff for his confidence. I think that puts him in better position to make the plays in the future games. And I just, I'm not really, I'm not really sure why Norvell is comfortable in pressers saying, this is my guy. This is what we're going with. This is my guy. And then, you know, you see him chewing him out on the field in the um, Wake Forest game, like on the TV coverage, you could see (laughs) that going down. So it's kind of like, okay, if you're going to trust your guy and you're going to tell all of us that this is your guy, why is that not the play call there? And, you know, Jackson talked about the things that you can control and the things that you can't. And I reckon that there was a lot of things in this game that we could control that we chose not to. Yeah, I... William, you made a great point uh, in the pre-show meeting before this show, uh, saying there was about 10 things that went wrong for Florida State, and if one of them doesn't go wrong, we're probably Florida State's probably winning this game. And I think that that has nothing really to do with NC State, in my opinion. Yes, they made plays. They made the plays they needed to, do, to win. But it's more that Florida State shot themselves in the foot each time uh, that the 10 plays, just theoretically 10 plays that could have, changed the game for Florida State. Like the the Master Mastermano uh punt, uh that's a key play that changes the game totally. Uh and just stuff like that that we just that Florida State needs to clean up and make better, I guess. I, I, that's the only way I could put it. That's well said. I, and I think Kylie put it as well as any of us could about Ryan Fitzgerald and that, you know, if you're going to talk the game, you got to show faith in your guy, especially in that moment. We saw how much the team rallied around him at midfield after that 47-yarder to end the first half. Granted, he was only 5 for 10 on the season. After that, he's had some extra point misses, but there was there was three instances in this game where they drastically, I think, affected their strategy because of the lack of faith in the kicker position. I mentioned the fourth and three attempt early on that you don't get in enemy territory. You punted from the NC State 36-yard line. Most teams, that's a place you probably want to try and, and get some points. And then obviously there at the end of the game, you're only down two, like I say, and you know all you you controlled that moment. All the leverage was in your hands, and you throw it up at a jump ball in the end zone uh, instead. So that that's really all I'll say about it because there is so much to get into. Um, I think AJ, you mentioned it. Some of some of the mistakes. Uh, I mean, let's talk about it. The, the drop passes. When this is what I don't understand. This team was so sharp, four and zero. It seems like they have they have fallen off. They have gotten worse as the season gone on. Norvell in his press conference said. He counted five drops from his receivers on third and fourth down. And, AJ, like we talked about, you know, maybe you catch one or two of those, it's a completely different game. But it seemed like in every phase they were just coming up short. And, and do we do we think that it's because of the early-on success that they're putting more pressure on themselves maybe? Uh, usually that's a confidence builder, but maybe it's kind of re- uh, working reversely and, and uh, starting to get to their head like, we're actually good. They're putting more pressure on themselves. They're playing in the beginning of the year. I'm sure they're playing freely. That no one really had any expectations for Florida State coming in the year. They they go to New Orleans, win a big game. Uh, they start off four and zero. Everything's going great, and then they run into a Wake Forest team that is a really good team. They had really good. They have a really good quarterback. Uh, made some boneheaded uh, mistakes in that game as well, and then they try to bounce back. And first half they looked really good. 
And I think maybe the second half they added more pressure onto themselves, and that's when mistakes start happening. So I, I believe that the team is just putting more pressure on itself for some reason um, instead of taking that good for, for good. And uh, I think that's maybe may a reason that Florida State's been struggling. While I don't often like to partake in any Jordan Travis criticism, one thing that I will say is you watch Johnny Wilson and almost every single drop pass that Johnny Wilson has, you watch it and the ball's thrown near his knees. That's a great point. This is a six foot seven player here and he's being thrown at his knees. And that's, what, that's what do you do with that? You're not utilizing his height? Like, no, we watched him during training camp. He can take triple coverage. He can catch that ball. He's got the height advantage. It's not a Micah Pittman in the back corner situation where we're unsure if he's going to get the ball uncontested. It's it's different. Why why not utilize that vertical advantage? And and the one catch that, and the one big catch, the th- thirty-one yard catch that Johnny Wilson did have, it was a jump ball, and it was perfectly placed. He he out jumps everyone, and it's like, why why isn't that happening more often? He and he performs when he's given the opportunity. When we utilize him the way that we're supposed to. Travis had, for the second straight week, a couple of turnovers that that really put the team in a bad spot, completes only 50% of his passes. It was clear that he was pressing, particularly on that first interception, the first play of the drive. Uh, He was rolling out to his left side, which that's more of a play call thing that it's, you know, he's got to turn his entire body to throw. Um, But pressure on his face, off his back foot throws, you know, into a spot with three or four Wolfpack defenders and a play that you weren't going to complete. That's a ball he needs to throw away. That's an interception that sets NC State up for another field goal. And, yeah, Kylie, I, I completely agree. That was something from week one that was an issue with Johnny Wilson. He got criticized for the drops, but I think the, the ball placement was not as good as it could have been. And I'll say, too, for the second week in a row, this offensive line has been an issue. It's been a liability. Um, I think I, I touched on it that – um, with all these counters and play actions, you're pulling the centers, the guards, and the tackles, depending on the play. Wake Forest did it, and NC State did it again. They're shooting the gap where, where the offensive linemen are pulling, leaving big spaces open, and you have free rushers on the quarterback. I think they had, you know, I can count probably four runs that were just stuffed in the backfield for a three- or four-yard loss. The offensive linemen aren't moving well. Robert Scott returned at left tackle, which helped, but it still wasn't enough. And uh, Jackson, I guess I'll ask you, I mean, that's – it's easy to to blame the quarterback and criticize him, but he is not being dealt a great hand at least the last couple of weeks. Well, it's always been that way, and you know maybe not in the first few games of this year, but uh, Jordan Travis has always made the offensive line look a lot better than it is. Like I said, it's gotten a lot better compared to what it was in years past. But uh, you know maybe it's after the Louisville injury, he's not moving um, as great. But like you said. A lot, a lot of blown up plays, um, a lot of just penetration from from NC State early on. It, to be honest though, I I think we're not giving the defense enough credit though. Yes, I, I think yeah. I think the defense played very well this game. Um, you know, to give up only 19 points uh, and being on the field a lot, that might be the only bright spot of this game. Other than the fact that Florida State's competing with you know ranked teams you know two weeks in a row, but uh, the offensive line is always going to be the heart and soul of every team. And if your offensive line is not performing, 
that you're not going to win most likely. And we'll talk about with our Clemson guest that'll that's going to play a big role uh, when the Tigers come into town. But yeah, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. Injuries continuing to ravage this unit. I I, I can't say I've ever seen something to this extent. Jared Verse gets hurt again. Uh, Robert Cooper, the defensive tackle, goes down. Jared Jackson, a depth piece at defensive tackle, goes down. And you lose Treshawn Ward on the offensive side of the ball. But uh, those, the, the defensive line in particular continuing to be decimated. The backups, I think, are improving quite a bit. Patrick Payton, a little undersized. He a great game. But great he's game. quick. A batted pass on a fourth and one where NC State was trying to, I guess, catch the defense off guard. But P- Payton read it like a book. Jumped up, got the hands up, batted the pass down. Also had a chase down on a, on a run play for a loss. I think he's coming into his own. And a couple of guys, now that you're missing your two starting defensive tackles for who knows how long, Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper. I believe he was on the on the depth chart this week. He was. That is something we've seen where it's like, well, he you know, hasn't played in a couple weeks, probably isn't going to play this week, but he's still listed as the starter. We don't know. We can't really say. But Malcolm Ray and Josh Farmer, the two defensive tackles, at least for now, I think they have played really darn good uh, in the absence of Lovett and Cooper, and and to me certainly that's that's one of the the bright spots not of this not only of this game but of the last few weeks is that depth has come on strong and like you said we're not giving enough credit to the defense because with that amount of injuries that will doom a lot of team seasons and at least not yet uh, as it uh, doomed FSU. And uh, you also have guys like Derek McClendon that's played pretty well. I know he's he's been starting really, which yeah. uh, you know in seasons past you know kind of waited behind Jermaine Johnson. And, uh, pardon me, Kira Thomas, right? He was on the edge. Wait, is he on the edge last year? Yeah, it was the, yeah, the Fox, right. I believe. That's right. So, um, you know, shout out to, to McClendon as well. But um, I thought Tatum Bethune had a very good game. Um, mm-hmm, he did. Bethune. Great season uh, for him. Exactly. You know, he's. I was able to watch him play at UCF last season. Um, he, he's, he's a star. And uh, Florida State will be will be remorse when, he, when he's gone. Um I believe, is this his last year? Does he have one more year after this? If he's eligible for the draft, I think he's going to take it yeah, with the way absolutely. he's playing right now. Absolutely. But, um, you know, you got to give props to the defense this year. Yeah, he is uh, a junior, by the way. Okay. Gotcha. So, Thanks. Um, you know, to give up 19 points, and I, I don't think it's their fault um, you know, to allow three straight field goals to a backup quarterback, in my opinion. I think we, we, we both agree on this. That was more schematics. Um, to not load the box, to not show pressure, to not stop the run. Um, in my opinion, it, it was inexcusable. I, I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. And, you, you know, when they brought pressure on a few plays, it worked. When when we saw that at, late in the game when the backup came in. But um, I think we would all agree that it's pretty obvious in saying that Florida State's defense has to step up. They have to get penetration. They have to... Uh, be they have to cause chaos against DJU coming up this week. Final thoughts? I mean, final thoughts that I just want to add is, you know, you have the ACC preseason player of the year go out. We got Devin Leary out. And Jack Chambers, 25, a walk-on, comes in. And it just felt eerily similar to the 31 points that Louisville put up on us. Mm. It felt much like not being able to defend Malik. And I just think that we need to figure out how to defend against the rush. Yeah, at least hopefully DJ Angulale has not been too too much of a threat on the ground, but better this year than previous. 
Um, but uh, that's that's it for really the discussion for, for NC State because we've got to turn it over to Clemson. We've got the call coming up soon. This Saturday, 7.30 on ABC, the big game with uh, Kirk Herbstreet and, and Chris Fowler there. First time in quite a while. Clemson comes in number four in the land. They're uh, favored by three and a half. The line opened at seven and a half, and it looks like uh, that, that line has been bet down quite a bit. Over-under is 51 points. Uh, the, the ESPN Football Power Index gives FSU a 27% chance to win. Clemson 6-0 this year, 4-0 in the ACC. Florida State leads the series all-time 20-14, but it has not been good as of late. Clemson's won the last six games dating back to 2015. Uh, Norvell is uh, 0-1 against Clemson in his career. That was that uh, really three-point loss, but it ended up being a 10-point loss on a, like a last-play kind of fumble drill. Uh, in Death Valley last year, there was no game in 2020 that we'll talk about. But um, as we've got about 30 seconds till the call rolls in, Clemson is a a really complete football team. They are the titans in this conference, and they're, they're going to be the dragon to slay for still to come. And uh, they gained my respect after watching that Wake Forest game. You know, all season I'd been saying that uh, you know their offense is putrid. Their offense is. Uh, really going to hold them back. I didn't understand why they were a top four team, but the Associated Press and the coaches poll poll uh, proved me wrong. Um, and you know, it's good for the ACC when Clemson's good. It's good for the ACC when Florida State's good, uh, and it's good for the ACC when they're playing in prime time. So I'm excited uh, for our guests to come on so we can talk about just that. Uh, he should be coming on here soon. Uh, in the next few seconds, AJ, you got something to add? Yeah, no, just w- I, William added that uh, opened up at a seven, it's dropped down to three and a half um, points. Uh, I see the calls coming in, but I think that has to do with being a primetime game. The fans are going to show out. It's not going to be hot if you look at the weather forecast right now. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that, bit, that's a big part. I think I think you are right right to say that, AJ. And joining us now. Uh, via the phone, William Jackson, Kylie, and AJ here in the studio, joined now by Justin Robertson. He's the sports editor of the Tiger, that is the the student newspaper for uh, Clemson. Justin, it's great to have you join the show to break down possibly the biggest game of the year for the Knowles. But how are you? Seems like everything's returned to normal for Clemson football. Yeah, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. It's a uh, it's a great chance to come speak with some fellow student reporters uh, over at FSU and. Yeah, it's been a uh, it's been been a pretty incredible year. I, I won't lie about that. All right. Uh, yeah, my first question: New Year, same Clemson. Give me an overview of this team and, and their hot start to twenty twenty two. Yeah, well, I think just going back to last year, real quick. I think starting two and two, having that opening loss to Georgia, really derailed kind of the expectation and and the the feeling around Clemson. But this year it's been kind of the opposite. You know, you start off strong with that win over Georgia Tech in the opener, and you got those big, I heard you guys talking about it earlier, those big back-to-back wins over Wake and, and NC State uh, a couple weeks ago. And now coming off a big dominant performance over BC, I think it's really starting to, to come together for the Tigers. And I think both sides of the ball are hitting their stride. You know, DJ has been pretty lights out this far compared to last season, 14 touchdowns to – two interceptions you know he was nine touchdowns ten interceptions all of last year so he's made some tremendous strides in the passing department and he's also been able to be a a reliable rusher he's got over 300 yards on the ground and a couple scores as well there and you know Shipley he's easily the most important player on the offense and 
defensively, it's been it's been about the same story as last year. You know, they've they've had a couple spots where they've they've struggled, especially against that Wake Forest team. But they they've really they've really come together over the past couple of weeks, and, and they've been playing lights out too. Uh, it's just it's been a tremendous six and zero start to the season, and you know we got a big game coming up. I know this Saturday against FSU, so it, it should be an interesting game to watch. Yeah, some games I want to ask you about specifically for for Clemson. I mean, these two teams played the same schools in their last three games with NC State, Wake, and and BC, respectively. How was Clemson able to to really dominate NC State? They were able to beat Wake and a couple of teams that FSU really struggled with. Well, yeah, I think starting with Wake Forest, it was definitely a story of the offense. And defensively, you look at the secondary in that game, probably the worst game the Tigers have had in the secondary in years. Nate Wiggins especially, he just struggled. I think he had four pass interference calls, something like that. And DJ really had to carry the team to a win that day. And, you know, there's a lot of doubt coming into the year if he could do that or if it was going to be more of a you could win with DJ, but DJ is not going to be able to win the game for you. And he proved that he proved that wrong. He proved that sentiment wrong against Wake Forest. You know, he had a I think it was four touchdowns that game, five touchdowns that game, you know, double overtime win. And then you transition into the NC State game here in Death Valley, and it was complimentary football. DJ was good in the spots that he needed to be, and Clemson's defense came out to play. Their defensive line caused havoc against the NC State offensive line, and, and that's really been the story through the past three weeks. I mean, coming off those two big games, you had to, had to have a little bit of concern about a trap game against BC uh, on Saturday, but they held their own. They did their job, and now we're uh, we're looking ahead to Saturday. Yeah, the, the Clemson quarterback DJ Uyunglele looks like a completely different player this year. Last season, completed only fifty five percent of his passes, nine touchdowns to ten interceptions, and just over twenty two hundred yards in thirteen games. This year, been a completely different story. He completed sixty four percent of his passes, fourteen touchdowns to only two picks. And already 1,500 yards through six games, so he's on pace to blow through that that marker from last year. What's been driving that, and how does it change Clemson's ceiling if DJ is playing at that high a level? Well, I think to answer your first question, it's really been a sense of confidence in him. He admitted, and Dabo Sweeney admitted over the offseason, that he lost some of that confidence in himself last year, and, and it showed. You, can, you, you saw some of those interceptions that he was – he was thrown, and, and they were not pretty. And it, it just really derailed the entire season, like I said. And he put in a lot of work over the offseason. He lost about 30 pounds. You know, he was he was working out with trainers in California. He was going all over the place trying to get better. And you've seen that improvement thus far. And to answer your second question, when DJ is able to be the player that he's capable of being, it really allows Clemson's offense to flourish. It, it allows – the entire offense to kind of be good in the spots that they're needed to be good in rather than kind of being forced to, to be the hero. And you look at Will Shipley, as I mentioned earlier, he's kind of been the driving force of this entire offense. And when he's going and he's running the rock like he usually does, DJ is much more confident in himself, and it opens up the entire field for the receivers. So I think it's really been just coming down to a sense of internal confidence in DJ you know, the coaching staff has been impressed with him in practice, and they just needed to see him produce on the field and when the lights are the brightest. And I think we've seen that uh, through the first six games this year. Justin, this is Jackson Bakich, co-host of Tomahawk Talk. Uh, 
Before I get to my first question, I, I want to agree with you. Uh, watching Florida State play at Clemson last year, you know, when Will Shipley was on the field, I remember just as, as a fan thinking, you know, we can't stop this dude. And I believe he was he was sharing some carries. And so for, for Shipley to get more of those touches, uh, I think, has been very beneficial for Clemson. But, uh, you know, Florida State, I'd say everybody was excited. You know, Florida State fans were excited to keep Clemson uh, as a protected rivalry uh, since, you know, the ACC will be divisionless next season. My question for you is, how do Clemson fans feel about it? Are they excited, or would they have liked to have seen somebody else? You know, it's been kind of a it's, it's been kind of a weird sentiment around that. I don't think fans are exactly sure what they want in the ACC, especially with all this talk of conference realignment Absolutely. and all that. But if you look historically at the matchup between these two teams, it's it's been incredible. Unfortunately, we had that 2020 year that we can uh, we couldn't play due to COVID, but. The, the rivalry between these two teams is is truly one of a kind. And I think it, it shows now, especially with Florida State's improvement, how good the ACC can be when everybody in the conference is competitive and they're able to make these rivalry games less one-sided as it has been over the past few years. So I think, you know, I think it was the last 2019 or 2018 was the last time we've, we've come down to Tallahassee. And it should be a, uh, it should be a really good environment on Saturday. It's a night game. I think it's Clemson's fifth night game of the season, so uh, I'm, I'm expecting this environment to be really crazy on Saturday. And and that's funny you you bring that up about uh, you know the sentiment of the rivalry and, and you know most rivalries whether it's you know pro or amateur athletics is you know due to proximity and you know kind of the the tribal sentiment behind the behind the fan bases. But really this this rivalry has been caused by you know just the teams being in each other's way, um, but. You mentioned it, you know, this is the first time, or excuse me, you mentioned, you know, it being a night game, and, uh, you know, this is the first time this game has been in prime time since 2016. Uh, you know, you have Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit calling the game, first time since 2016 that the entirety of America will be watching. Um, how do you expect Clemson's championship culture to hold up uh, going into this, this hostile environment? Yeah, I think it's been key that, like I said, that Wake Forest game was on the road. I think going into the tough environment, we've had the fortune of playing at home a lot of these big games, the longest home winning streak in college football. Uh, so winning that game at Wake Forest really is going to play a key factor, I think, in, in us being able to win on the road in such a tough environment. And it's definitely much more of a tough environment than Wake Forest in, uh, in Tallahassee. But I do think that Clemson has proven in the past that they can win these tough road games. Uh, but it's certainly not in Clemson's favor that this game is on the road. I will say that Florida State, you know, you guys mentioned the line has dropped to, I think, about four points now. I think that's that just shows how big that home field advantage can be in college football. And, and unfortunately, I won't be able to make the trip down, but I hear it's an incredible place to play. I, I really am looking forward to watching the game. And uh, I'm expecting this environment and this atmosphere to just be crazy. I mean, Clemson's a top five team, and, and FSU is hungry for a win after these back-to-back losses. So, so on that note, yeah, I think I think home field advantage is is going to be a big factor in this game, and I think DJ has been in enough big spots where he can he can deal with it, and the rest of the offense can deal with it. Uh, hey, Justin, Kylie Brennan here. I'm our sports communication coordinator here, but um, um, so given everything that you 
just kind of said there. That's kind of leading into my question here. Do you think the 3.5 line is too modest uh, given Clemson's success, or do you think that the rivalry aspect, the atmosphere of Tallahassee, do you think that plays a pretty big factor? What What would you count the spread here? Well, I think it's fair. I do think it should be a, a bit more than four points or 3.5 points, but I think the four-point line just proves how tough it is to win in college football. And that's something that Dabo Sweeney kind of praises every week, it seems like, is it's not easy to win in college football. It really isn't. We've seen countless upsets this year. You know, Notre Dame's been kind of shaky in spots. Uh, you know, you've seen all these other schools that have really struggled, especially on the road. I mean, you look at Alabama and Texas, you look at Texas A&M and all that, and it's not easy to win in college football. And I think that looking at this game, the home field advantage, like I said, plays a big, big factor. And you can't discount that. You can't go into a game expecting that Clemson's going to dominate like it has in years past because the ACC is much better than it once was, and Clemson is not as good as it has been you know, with Deshaun and Trevor. So I think the four-point line is pretty fair. I think it should be about six or seven like it was originally. But I'm not expecting this game to be a blowout. I'm expecting it to be a tough, hard-fought game. And I think that line kind of, kind of shares what, uh, what the rest of the country is feeling. This Clemson defense, it's ferocious. Number two rushing D in the country. They only give up about 64 yards per game on the ground. That's hard, really hard to believe. They're number seven in the country in tackles for loss. They've got 48 tackles for loss in six games. That's eight per game. I think they had 11 against Boston College last week. Looks a lot like those championship winning teams of old. Yeah, it's been it's been an pretty interesting run so far for the defense. You know, you go from Brent Venables to Wes Goodwin, the defensive coordinator, and it was all about how that transition would play out. And, you know, there were some spots the first couple games of the season where it did not look great, especially against Wake Forest, and that secondary was struggling. But they've really come into their own through the past couple of weeks, and I think it starts with that defensive line. You know, K.J. Henry, Ryan Brzee, Miles Murphy, Xavier Thomas is back now. He, he had incredible six snaps. I think he had two sacks and six snaps on Saturday against B.C. And interior, you know, you got Rook, you got Trey Williams, you got some other key contributors that most fans really haven't heard of. And you look at the linebacking group and Trenton Simpson and Barrett Carter, one of the two of the most athletic linebackers in the country. They're all over the field. Barrett Carter had the forced fumble last week. The secondary is really, really where the questions lie. And I think coming back with, with less injuries, I think Sheridan Jones should be back this week. Andrew McCubas should be healthier than he has been. Uh, I think I think it's going to be a different a different mindset this week. And I think the entire defense is finally going to be healthy, and it's going to play even better than it has been this far. But to go back to your question about the defense, it has been like one of the championship defenses that like Clemson has had in the past, and that front seven has made all the difference in the world. K.J. Henry has been incredible. Miles Murphy has been incredible. Barrett Carter has been incredible. And I'm expecting kind of the same outcome tonight, or on Saturday night, rather, where that defensive line is just going to attack Florida State's offensive line and really cause some problems. Hey, Justin, it's A.J. here. Um, that kind of leads into my next question. You uh, brought up some injuries. Uh, just wondering, what, what what's the biggest weakest weakness on uh, Clemson's team this year? I know there's not many being the number four team in the country, but... Um, yeah, what's the biggest weakness that Clemson has, in your opinion? 
Well, I think it's a fair question, and there's really two that come to mind. I think the first on offense is the run blocking. I don't think it's been as good as it needs to be in some spots. I think Will Shipley, he's busted a lot of runs uh, by himself. He's broken some tackles, and there has been a couple of games and a couple of drives that they've done a really incredible job, but the offensive line has never really been as the uh, as the strong suit for this Clemson team, um, but I think that'll be something that Florida State is looking to take advantage of. And then you go to the de- defensive side of the ball, and I think you have to look at the secondary. Like I said, it's been it's been some trouble. There's been some troubles uh, thus far for the secondary. I think Sheridan Jones has been out. Makuba's been out for some time. Uh, you know, Jalen Phillips has been out, and they really had to move around a lot of guys and make some young guys play. I look at Toriano Pride, the freshman, Jaden Lucas, the freshman. They both had have played a uh, significant amount of snaps. And Jordan Travis is a very capable quarterback. He hasn't looked great at times, but he's going to definitely go after this Clemson secondary. And so uh, I think those are the two weaknesses for this team. And as always, DJ, you know, he's been – He's been great in almost every position that the coaching staff has put him in. But he does make a few mistakes here and there. He had that interception last week that was kind of a kind of reminiscent of uh, last year. So I think those are kind of the key key spots that Florida State is going to have to take advantage of. You got a score prediction for us? We'd love to hear one. Yeah, I do. I think I think it's going to be a tough competitive game throughout most of it. I do think that uh, the Clemson's going to pull away towards the end. I think ultimately – Clemson's defensive line and their entire defense is just going to pose too many problems and threats to Florida State. So I don't know if the Seminoles can really keep up uh, as the game transpires. But I do think it'll remain a close game. Like I said, the environment's going to be crazy. It's going to be nuts. I'm expecting the fans to be as loud as they have been all year. But I do have Clemson pulling the way to a 33-23 uh, a to 23 victory and, and covering the spread. That's pretty darn close to what I have. And, uh, yeah, I can't say I disagree there. But... Justin Robertson, it's been great having you, sports editor of The Tiger. Thanks so much for the time, and uh, good luck the rest of the way here. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate it. Have a good rest of your week. You as well. And there he goes, Justin Robertson. Thanks again so much for coming on the program. Quickly, we'll go around the room. Jackson, we'll start with you. Score predictions. What, what's going to be this game? What is FSU going to have to do to win? I'm going a 34 34- 28 victory for the Clemson Tigers. Uh, I think Florida State uh, will have a chance to win it, but the, the Clemson defense will come up and make a stop. Uh, so that is my prediction. I'm sticking with a 34-28. First time I've predicted Florida State to lose mm. all year. I I think Florida State is also going to lose. It's going to be a tight game. Uh, it's going to be offensive struggle in the first half, in my opinion, and it's going to open up a little. And I predict Clemson is going to win 28 21. Um, I'm going to call the same score as the Louisville game. I'm going to say 31-34. I think the offense is definitely going to have to show out, and I think defensively he mentioned the secondary trouble, and then obviously we have a lot of people injured, so that's kind of what I'm going to roll with here. 
For FSU, out of Fabian Lovett, Robert Cooper, Jared Verse, I'm going to say at least two of those three are going to have to play if FSU wins. I think they're also going to need to change up some of the plays. If they go to that counter with those pulling linemen, Clemson is going to shoot those gaps, and it's, and it's going to be trouble like it's been the last couple weeks. I'll go Clemson on top 31-17. I think they'll just be too much to handle. They are a really, really solid team this year. Uh, but that'll do it for this part of Tomahawk Talk. Next up, we got Jack Oliaro with Seminole Segment. Jack, take it away. Thank you, William. What's good, everyone? I'm Jack Oliaro, routing off this Seminole Segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics. Quickly giving my spiel on FSU Clemson. A huge game at any juncture, a huge game given. You can go into the bye either 5-2 and two or 4-3. and three. The offense needs to have the best game of the season to challenge this playoff-caliber defense, while the defense, while pretty stout, needs to hold a continually rising Clemson offense. I think this becomes a shootout where Jordan Travis will get plays, and the defense will hold, but not well enough to allow a 31-38 loss on Saturday night. Now switching from football to soccer, the third-ranked Florida State Seminoles had themselves quite a week with two top-20 matchups on the road, the first in Charlottesville, Arguably the biggest game of the year between number three Florida State and number two Virginia. Just as the fans were settling in, Jody Brown collected a deflection off a Cavalier defender and laced one to the top of the net for the opening goal, one of the fastest in Florida State's history at only 45 seconds. Uh, the goal was the lone score in the night, as the KG top three matchup was won by the Seminoles, but then came Sunday where the Knolls were slanted back to reality with a crushing 0-4 loss. The first two Irish goals came in less than 10 minutes. The first saw Lauren Flynn be dispossessed and lost the foot race where Corbin Albert blasted a goal past backup goalkeeper Mia Justice, who was frozen on her line. Five minutes later saw Olivia Wingate dash through the midfield and shot off a laser from the top of the key into the top right corner for an 0-2 hole for Florida State. They couldn't dominate in the possession like they normally would, and Notre Dame dictated terms throughout, holding the Knolls to just five shots on target. A bit past the 70th minute mark, Maddie Mercado tucked in her shot past Justice for the third, and with less than 10 minutes to go, Olivia Wingate received a beauty of a pass past pass past the Florida State defenders and beat the keeper once more for the fourth and final goal, the highest high and lowest low in under a week. Uh, Florida State won't have much time to sulk as they host the seventh-ranked Duke Blue Devils in another huge ACC matchup, the only side the Knolls lost to last season en route to a national championship. The game will be on Thursday at 6 p.m. and available on the ACC Network. Meanwhile, in volleyball, Florida State enjoyed a great week at home, starting off with a five-set thriller over Miami. The Seminoles just edged the Hurricanes in aces, blocks, and crucially in digs. Uh, they carried that momentum into Friday evening as they swept past Duke despite falling short in most, statist most statistical categories. The first two sets were down to a few points that could have gone either way, but the third and final set was a damning blow and more than sufficient enough for the win. They moved to 12-5 and five and remain strong in conference play at 4-2. and two. They will be back on the road this week with a trip to Charlottesville against Virginia on Friday before facing a powerhouse in Pittsburgh against the ninth-ranked Panthers. Before we go back to the studio, we had coverage of some preseason fall softball where the Seminoles destroyed Lurland B. Wallace Community College 25 to nothing. I'm not even sure if any of us can run around bases 25 times in one go of it, but they did and will look to continue their development with a Friday evening contest against Wallace Community College at 5 p.m. at the Seminole Softball Complex. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. I've been and still be Jack Liaro. William and Jackson, run it. Thank you, Jack. William, Jackson, Kylie, and AJ with you for about 10 more minutes. NFL Week 5 Sunshine Slate. We'll start with Tampa Bay and with Tampa Bay, another edition of the Gene Deckerhoff Call of the Week. We lead by six. 
The snap, a good one to Brady. Looking Brady, now flushed out of the pocket. He'll be sacked for the first time of the game. He's dropped back at the 42, and the flag comes out. Yeah, he stepped on Brady after he made the sack. Brady Jarrett gets the sack, but did he step on Brady? Brady says he did. That from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Radio Network, 98 Rock, and that that was really the, the play of the game that got a lot of national attention. Uh, Tampa Bay was up 21-15. They had a 21-0 lead that they were in the process of blowing, essentially. Uh, Jared gets a sack on third down. Looks like they're going to get the ball back. Guys, looks like a perfectly clean sack to me, but the referee throws the flag, and Tampa Bay was able to uh, seal the game out. And I agree. It's a totally clean sack. Um when it comes to you know driving players into the ground, those those are plays of aggression that you can you can stop. In my opinion, that one there was not like that. I mean, th- th- those are natural football plays, and you know, Brady maybe he gets you know the Michael Jordan call that they or the LeBron James call the superstar call there, but uh, I think you know when a lot of people say, oh, we're going to we're going to two hand touch, uh, they might not be wrong. Tom Brady threw the ball 52 times, tying a season high. Not really looks like what they want to do, but uh, they win going away 21-15, and that was a battle for first place in the NFC South, now owned by Tampa Bay with a 3-2 and record. Moving on now to the Miami Dolphins. They drop another game, this one in New, uh, New Jersey, to the Jets 40-17. to They're now 3-2. and They're tied for second in the AFC East. And they were down, really, for most of the game, down to their third-string quarterback with all this concussion stuff that's going around the league these days. And, yeah, Skylar Thompson, I think he did okay. Uh, you know, his his number was called, and he, he, he did okay uh, for a third-string quarterback. AJ, you have anything to add? Yeah, yeah, being, being thrown in there is pretty tough for him, not preparing to start all week. And then on the first ba- play, basically, you're thrown in there. Uh, the Dolphins were also down. Their top two starting cornerbacks, their top two tackles. So it was just injury-ridden game for the Dolphins all the way around. Uh, the The key moment in this game that I thought was key um, was Jason Sanders missing a field goal that would have put the Dolphins up a point and said he misses. The Jets drive down the field, score a touchdown, and that's basically all she wrote for the Dolphins. It, it just game. felt like it snowballed. Yep. The game just right, snowballed. Right after that point. Looks like the, the Dolphins, it's going to be health will be the key for them moving forward, but they're still in the thick of things and rounding out. The Sunshine Slate, the Jacksonville Jaguars, that was a tough loss at home to the winless Texans. I believe the lone winless team remaining. It was 13-6. to Tough sledding there for that Jacksonville offense. And, Carly, I mean, it, I've seen a lot of criticisms of Trevor Lawrence. I know I know you're you're fully behind him, but uh, is there any anything to, to some of his criticisms? It looks like they've, they've really struggled here as of late. I support Trevor Lawrence because he's my quarterback. However, that doesn't mean that I always agree with his decisions. I think that his red zone work needs definite improvement because every time that we, the Jaguars got the ball into the red zone, it seemed like the play wasn't even able to happen. And it, you just get down to a point where I think Coach Peterson's doing the right thing. I think we're moving in the right direction, but he's just got to be able to make those plays and. He did great before the Philly game. Philly game, five turnovers. It just seems like we're on a downslope here. You seen any growth? Like that, that red zone interception was tough. You got to run for the first down and, and keep the offense moving. I mean, this is his second year. Are you seeing signs of progression, or is it kind of the same mistakes every week? I mean, I thought I was seeing signs of progression, but then within last week and this week, I'm getting a little nervous again, and then just dumb things happening. Trayvon Walker getting the personal foul call penalty on third down. You. That can't happen. These, it's just careless mistakes, you know. Like, 
Jacksonville, they dropped to two and three, their third place in the AFC South now that the Titans have started to heat up. And also in NFL news, Matt Rule of the Panthers head coach was fired today, finishes 11-27 and 27 in three years. He was 1-4 and four so far this year, and we were uh, on top of that for quite a while. Kind of kind of surprised he was hired in the first place, in my opinion. You know, he, he, he did well turning Baylor around. Uh, he did very well at Temple. But uh, to me, I just didn't think, kind of like a Cliff Kingsbury situation, I didn't think he had shown uh, enough. Uh, to go to the next level. That's just me. And and just to show how bad he was in his three years there, uh, they're calling him the Bobby Benilla of the NFL as he's owed eight hundred th- around $850,000 a month for four years because af- of this early firing. In college, right in college, but also the NFL, those buyouts are, are reigning supreme there for the coaches. But uh, to wrap it up, MLB playoffs – uh, wild card weekend, first year under the new format. Three out of the four road teams won in a format that heavily favors the the, the home team. But you know, obviously, they were not able to be victorious. But uh, I think probably the highlight of the weekend, guys, Mariners over Blue Jays. Mariners were they had the longest postseason drought in American sports. They get in, they're on the road. Big dumper. That's right, yeah, Cal, Cal Rowley, they're calling him the big dumper on, on the broadcast. That, that was a funny... Uh, Florida State alum. That's right, yeah, FSU legend, Cal, Cal Rowley, or Raleigh, however you say his name. But yeah, he is carrying that team at a home run to get him into the playoffs. Had some big hits this weekend. Really collapsed for the Blue Jays, but Mariners will have the Astros. Uh, Mariners, really exciting team. They, they sweep the, that three-game series in, in two as, in Toronto. Yeah, as a Marlins fan, I'm cheering for the Mariners because uh, uh, this gives me a little hope as a Marlins fans because uh, Mariners fans have been around the same level that Marlins fans have been. So I'm, a Mar- I'm, I'm cheering for the Mariners. Um, and I, what do you think is bigger choke here, the, the Blue Jays or the Mets? This, well, this it, it's got to be the Mets, you yeah. know, or you know, a ten game, a ten game lead. But I, I think all of America's cheering for the Mariners. I mean, that's like they're America's uh, team. They're America's. It's like if Kansas was playing Alabama in, uh, you know, the college football playoff. I mean, you have people have not forgotten about what the Astros did in 2017 with their cheating scandal, and to to see, you know, uh, a Mariners team that like like we've talked about hasn't been to the playoffs in 20 years. If they could take down. Uh, really an AL giant. You know, they kind of go under the radar every year because everybody kind of discards them as, you know, cheaters and no one's really paying attention, at least in my opinion. Uh, you know, the Astros don't really get as much press because nobody wants to. Um, it's usually the Yankees and the Red Sox and uh, the AL East that's getting that press. But uh, the Astros are a great team, and I think um, the Mariners, uh, it would be a really cool sight to see if they could take the Giants of the AL, the AL down. Astros have owned the Mariners in the last handful of regular seasons. It's going to be an uphill battle for Seattle, but certainly, like you said, all of America will be behind them. And AJ, you touched on it. The the Padres going cross country to play the Mets, and yeah, certainly the biggest collapse of the weekend. New York bringing in all those big starting pitchers via the trade, via the free agency signings with with Max Scherzer. Oh, man, I mean, Mets Mets going to met right? Yeah, Mets are going to met, but. I, I do like the matchup better uh, with the Padres-Dodgers. They kind of have a little rivalry going as it is. Um, Padres bringing in some big names like Juan Soto this year. So uh, it's going to be some star power still against the Dodgers, who, who the Dodgers always just look so good. We were reminded this weekend, it's not about who, it's so cliche and I hate it, but it's true. It's not who's the best team, it's who's the hottest team. 
Padres look really hot right now. Um, you know, their closer is rolling. All their bats uh, really came alive in New York, and so they're going to take on really the giants of all of Major League Baseball and the Los Angeles Dodgers for best of five. We'll have to dig into some of those division series maybe next week, but this is all for this week. Uh, this has been Tomahawk Talk for William Haynes, Jackson Bakich, Kylie Brennan, A.J. LaCourcier, Jack Oliaro, our producer. Your uh, new release is next, and you've been listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.